Well, um, I wasn't sure what to speak on. I have to speak at a series of meetings um, in the first week in September, actually, and I've been thinking a little bit about that series of meetings. And uh, in the back of my mind at, at the moment, I'm thinking about speaking on um, Hebrews chapter 11. So I have um, been sort of thinking a bit about that chapter and I'd like just to draw your attention to the first three verses this morning, if I can. So just the first three verses of Hebrews chapter 11. Um, and this is what it says in the English Standard Version, which seems to be the everyday perfect version in in Scotland nowadays. <laughs> um, I'm still an NIV person, so you'll have to forgive me for that. Um, but here it is in the English Standard Version. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction of things not seen, for by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And then, of course, he goes on and gives us this huge list of um, heroes of the faith. And so he tells us, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. And of course, Enoch, fifth man from Adam, was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. Anyway, I just want to focus on the first three um, verses, if I can. Um, today, that's the plan. Um, I've been thinking a little bit about faith and thinking a little bit about this chapter. So Hebrews 11, sometimes described as God's hall of faith, or I've heard someone describe it as God's Westminster Abbey of faith, or the Westminster Abbey of Scripture. Uh, it's one of the great chapters in the Bible, of course, very poetic in its uh, flow and structure, uh, huge sweep of history, panoramic sweep of history, and incredibly challenging, I think, as you think about these individuals who stepped out by faith and followed the Lord. Um, and it's a chapter which, in this book, calls the Hebrew believers to faithful endurance. Um, writer lifts up this list of saints uh, that demonstrate, or if you like, illustrate the kind of faith that he is calling on the Hebrews um, to exemplify or, or, or to live in the reality of, is maybe a better way to put it. So the context of this passage, I think it helps to just understand where this fits in the book and what's going on and why it's here. Um, originally, there were no divisions in scripture in the Greek that, that it was written in, no spaces even between the words um, in, in the original uh, manuscripts that, that we would, would have received from the likes of Paul and 
and uh, the writer to the Hebrews, whoever he was. And he doesn't tell us his name, and I think we should allow him um, the allow him the anonymity that he seems to want for himself. He doesn't want us to know his name, and he doesn't want us to know who wrote this book. He, he wants us to know the person in the book, and the person in the book, of course, is Jesus. So he, he sort of takes himself completely out of the picture, whoever he is. But anyway, the point is that there was no spaces even between between the words. And so it's important, I think, to understand what's what's happening in and around this section. So the writer in the previous chapter, in chapter 10, you can see this chapter 10, verse 39. Um, the writer's been speaking about spiritual apostasy. Uh, some, For some, the cost of discipleship was becoming too much. See this throughout chapter 10. Some of them had gone back to Judaism, gone back to the synagogues where they had... Uh, where their friends were and where they no doubt once took their places and they'd gone back to the synagogue. Some of them may not have gone back to the synagogue. Some of them may just have gone back to their lives within society. And an, and, and an alarming number of Hebrews, it seems, had gone back on their professions of faith. And that's why the book of Hebrews has got some of the strongest warnings in the New Testament um, not to go back. We are not of those who draw back, the writer says, but we are those who believe to the saving of the soul. And we don't go draw back to perdition or to destruction, but we go on to believing to the saving of the soul. And here in this chapter, he deals with what it really means to believe. He's holding out a list of examples of what it means to believe and to continue to believe until you find yourself behind the gates of heaven. But then the question uh, arises, well, then what is faith? Is faith just a subjective feeling that some people have and some people don't have? Is faith the product of, um, you know, the genes? So you've got, a, you've got a, a, a DNA code that lends itself to religious belief and other people don't. What exactly is faith? I mean, I can believe what I like. But the, the fact is, if it's not true, it's foolishness and it's pointless. So what is faith? This is as close, this chapter and verse 1 is as close as the Bible gets to defining faith. Although the writer's probably not trying to provide a definition. He's trying to explain or, if you like, illustrate faith more than define it. But whatever we want to say of the, of the writer's purpose, faith is a belief in God. It's a belief in his word. And it's a belief in the God that has revealed himself in scripture. Faith doesn't dispense with evidence. Faith embraces evidence. But biblical faith is a response to revelation. That's what faith is. It's a response to the way that God has revealed himself and the things that God has said in scripture. And faith believes that and responds to that and allows that to shape its thinking and to shape its behavior. It's not a leap into the dark. It's a step into the light. Uh, faith sings the song, I once was blind, but now I see. And faith is really the opening of our eyes to the revelation of God 
of himself in, in Scripture. Well, what I want to do is just give you three things from this little text, uh, verses 1 to 3 of Hebrews 11. Three things. So the three things are simple. First of all, he talks about the essence of faith. Um, the essence of faith as he talks about what faith is. And, and then he talks about the effects of faith as he talks a little bit about um, how faith will shape us. And then finally, he, he, he gives us an example of faith as he talks about what we believe about creation. So those are the three things. There's an essence, there is the effect, and then finally there is an example. So first of all, the essence of faith. What is faith? And he gives us two things. First of all, he tells us that faith is being sure of what we hoped for. Now, the Greek word which is used here, so in, in, the, in, in the English translation, it says faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction of things not seen. Or in the authorized version, it says it's the substance of things hoped for. Or in the NIV, it says it's the, uh, again, it's the assurance. So the Greek word is hypostasis, and it carries this idea of confidence and courage. So faith is to have a confidence regarding what God has said about himself and what God has promised us in, 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 in regard to, to the scripture. So faith is really a confidence regarding, regarding what is unseen and what is still future but has been revealed in scripture. So that's why the NIV and the ESV have translated it assurance. It's to be assured in your heart. It's to be assured of what is promised. And this is what these ancient characters in Hebrews 11 were commended for. God had spoken to each of these people and they had a quiet confidence that what God was saying to them was true and would all come true. So um, in the case of Abel, God said, bring me an offering. Um, I'll accept it and I will accept you if you bring the offering. In the case of Abraham, God says, I'll make you a great nation, but you must step out with me on this journey of faith and you must walk before me and be perfect. So I'll make you into a great nation and through you all the people of the earth will be blessed. But here's your side of the bargain. You've got to step out on this journey of faith with me and you've got to walk before me and be perfect. Again, uh, the story of Noah that the writer to the Hebrews mentions. I'll send a flood, um, but you must build an ark and I will preserve you and I'll bless you. And each of these people in this chapter, they believed God. They responded to the call of God. They not only responded, but they continued to believe um, and they continued in a believing way until they gained what was actually promised. So they were possessed of a quiet confidence that one day the flood would come, that one day through Abraham's descendants, the whole earth would be blessed. Um, they were possessed of a quiet confidence that what God said about himself, what God said about them, what God said about the future, that all of that would become a reality. That's what faith is. It's to believe what God has said. It is to be sure of things unseen and of things that are still future. It's to be certain of those things. Now, this is scratching where it itched. The pressures of criticism 
and the pressure of persecution that these Hebrew Christians were facing from their friends down at the synagogue was causing some of them to abandon their belief, to abandon their faith, and, and it was causing some of them to draw back from professions of faith that they had made concerning Christ. They were abandoning their belief in the acceptance of God through Christ or of future blessings being tied up in Christ. So they're no longer believing that Jesus is necessary. They're no longer believing that acceptance with God only comes through Christ. They're no longer enduring in faith um, and they've abandoned their faith, but they didn't possess enduring faith because faith is being sure of things that were hoped for. But in this chapter, uh, in this book and in this church, it seems that these people had lost their confidence. So we must believe what God says with unswerving confidence. That God is who he says he is and that God will do what he says he will do. Uh, and um, that's why we as Christians submit sometimes to the darker experience of life, experiences of life that we do not understand. Um, that's why you often find that Christians are not overwhelmed by the difficulties that they face. Why? Because they believe that God is at work and that God is a purpose and will provide the grace that is needed. Now, they don't often understand the purpose. They don't often see God at work, but they believe that God is at work and they believe that God will provide the grace that is necessary. They have the hope of a better life and a more glorious life through Christ. And they know that these present sufferings are, are not to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. We often think about the early Christians. Uh, and why was it that the Roman Empire couldn't stamp out the faith of these early believers, despite covering them in tar and ha hanging them on stakes and setting them alight? Why were they unable to make the covenanters recant, even though they tortured them to death and crushed their joints in their bone-crushing devices? They could not do it because these believers, these individuals, lived as though Christ was everything, everything that they needed, and as though everything Christ said was true. They lived as though Christ was enough, and as though Christ, only Christ, was enough, and that the glory promised in Christ, they lived as though that was already theirs. And that's the kind of faith that God is calling these Hebrew Christians to display, a, a faith which is unswerving in its confidence in what God has said about himself, about them, and about the future. So here's the second thing that he says about faith. Not only um, is it being sure, but it's being shaped by what we do not see. So that's what it says. Faith is the evidence of things unseen or the conviction of things not seen. So the word evidence or conviction um, is used of a confidence that's not static, but it's dynamic. These people not only believe what God said, they stake their lives upon it. They allowed their lives to be shaped by it. So what I'm trying to say is they didn't just have this inner warm, fuzzy feeling, 
but they laid hold of what God said and shaped their entire lives by it. So that's why Moses left the palaces of Egypt and identified himself with a group of slaves. That's why Abraham left Ur of the Chaldees, a developed and prosperous city with a linen industry and, uh, and, and uh, <clears throat> terracotta industry and set out for a life as a nomad. It's because not only did he have a quiet confidence that what God said was true, his whole life was shaped by it. It became his, his life's conviction. People within society um, today allow their lives to be shaped um, by all kinds of things. By and large, people are ruled and directed by what is around them. And there is no real thought of the unseen or of future realities. So if they're presented with an opportunity to make a quick buck, as they say, uh, and even if it's in a suspect way, they will take it. If they're confronted with a, an opportunity for a moment's pleasure, whether it's an affair or whether it's uh, stealing or somebody else's possessions, they'll seize it with both hands because pleasure in things and comforts is all that they really believe in. Now, I know that sometimes people stop and think about the long-term consequences of their behavior, but that's about it. They, they don't live as though there is a God and, and as if the, the directives of his words his word matters. They don't live by the unseen truth that one day they'll have to give an account of their lives, but the Christian does. And their lives are a demonstration of that. So they not only believe what God has said, but they allow it to shape their lives. The same is true of the difficulties that people face when, when people are confronted with trials and burdens in life often they can't see any further than the trials and difficulties. So a policeman said to a young man on one occasion who was going to throw himself off the bridge, don't do it. And the policeman said, give me five minutes and I'll explain to you why you shouldn't do it. And then uh, I'll give you five minutes to explain why you should do it. So the policeman launched off and he gave a five minute talk on why the young man shouldn't jump off the bridge. And then the young man responded, and gave the policeman five minutes of reasons why he should jump off the bridge. And both of them then ended up jumping off the bridge together. But the Christian looks beyond. And, and so you ask yourself, well, why would you face ongoing, huge, overwhelming difficulties that have no sign of abating? Why, would you, why wouldn't you just step out of the picture? Well, the Christian looks beyond the situation as it's perceived by their natural senses. And the Christian believes that in all of this chaos, God is at work. Christian believes that God is ultimately in control and he's working out his purposes. And they believe that and they live that out, even in the middle of this pandemic. I have no idea what God is doing, but God knows what he's doing. And we continue to believe that God has a purpose. And that's why Christians don't throw up their hands in despair. Christians, the Christian lives their life in fellowship with the unseen God and views everything that they face through the filter of his lens. That's why in, in the job that I now have, I, I often see people turning their back on a successful career or a successful business to work or invest in ministry because they believe in another king 
and another kingdom that's unseen. And they allow that king and kingdom and its values to shape the way that they live. That's faith. So not only do they have a warm, fuzzy feeling, but they believe this to the extent that they allow it to shape their lives. Now, the reason that there was so much apathy in the Hebrew church is because they didn't believe what God said was a reality, and they didn't believe that Christ was all that they needed. And that's the reason that there was so much despondency. I guess the question for me is, is what God has said about Christ being all that I need? Is what God has said about his kingdom being eternal and of ultimate worth, is that shaping who I am, how I live, how I interact with other people? Just fine for me to talk about being a person of faith. But what's my faith in? And how is that faith shaping my life and the way I live? Because it's the object of faith that is the all-important thing. Well, here's the second thing then. Uh, I want you to think about the effect of faith. He says, by faith, the elders obtained a good testimony. Or in the ESV, for by it, the people of old received their commendation. So by it, the elders obtained a good testament. The, the elders, who are the elders? Who are the people of old that is spoken of here? Well, these are the individuals um, who he's going to talk about in this chapter, the men and women of faith that belong to bygone generations. And when it says that they obtained a good testimony, who did they obtain a good testimony before? Well, he tells us at the end of the chapter that it was God who commended them. So, you know, it's, 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 it's nice, isn't it, to have people commend you and approve of your behavior. That's a nice thing. It's nice when people observe how you interacted with a difficult person and, and, and come to you and say, you know, you handled that well and, and in a good way. And, and it's nice to receive people's approval. But it's uh, infinitely more important to receive God's approval, isn't it? And uh, to be commended by God and to experience the well done of God. And these people earned their testi testimony before God. They lived in a way that secured God's approval, this list that he's going to give us in this chapter. And, and it's an amazing thing, I think, to earn a testimony of being a person of faith and godliness, and to be commended by God to run the race, and at the end of the race, to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. It's interesting to me, I don't know if it's interesting to you, but it's interesting to me that in this chapter, he mentions people like Abraham, but never mentions the fact that he was a liar. Um, he never picks up on the fact that uh, Noah lay drunk in his tent, what he picks up on is the direction of his life. And sure, there were weaknesses, and sure, there were hiccups, and sure, there were faults. But faith overcame and directed the entire shape of this person's life and, and the direction um, that, that these people were going. That I find that hugely, hugely encouraging because I know that there's been lots of hiccups in my life. But it's the overall direction of their life that the writer to the Hebrews picks up, picks up on. 
And the point is that sure, they had their failings, but despite those failings, they marched to the beat of a different drum and a different drummer. They lived their lives believing that God was real and what he said was true and that the promises which he made were, would absolutely be fulfilled. And, and that's the question, is, is that the thing that characterizes my life? And am I seeking to be commended by God? So who cares what people think of me? What ultimately matters is, will I be commended by God and am I being commended by God? Now, that isn't the same question as, is it possible to be loved more by God? No, it's not possible to be loved more by God. Love, God loves me as much at this moment in time as he will tomorrow and the next day and on the last day. Is it possible to be more accepted by God? No, I am accepted in Christ. Absolutely accepted in Christ. I'll not be more acceptable on the judgment day than I am now. I'm accepted in the beloved. But that is not the same as saying that God takes pleasure in my behavior and it's, and it's, it's not possible for God to take more pleasure in my behavior in the future. And as I allow myself to be shaped and framed and directed by faith, so much so that at the end of life, I too will be commended. And I too will hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. What a joy it would be to hear those words. And I take the point of, I think it was Tommy said to me one day, no, I'll be happy just to get in through the gates of heaven. And that's true for all of us. We all be happy. But there is a sense, surely there is a sense in which we too should be striving to be commended by God and to earn a good testimony before God. So secondly, how then was it achieved? Um, how was it achieved? So what did they achieve? They achieved a good testimony. They were commended by God. These people were all commended by God, even um, despite their failings. How did they do it? Well, they did it by faith, by believing in the reality of God, by believing concretely in the promises of God, by believing that those promises would come true no matter what happened. I remember flying into Aldergrove airport on one occasion uh, in the middle of an incredibly foggy day and I remember looking out of the window of the cabin of the plane and you could see nothing but just a blanket of cloud and it wasn't until we had landed that you could actually see the ground beneath us. How did the pilot know where the runway was? How, how was he able to know where to land the plane? Well he flew the plane by the instruments, not by sight. He wasn't flying by sight, he was flying by the instruments. And someone could have asked him, you know, why are you lowering the plane? Why are you bringing the plane down? There's no sight of a, of a runway. But he knew where the runway was and he landed the plane on it. And that's how the heroes of faith lived their lives. When everything in the world said the promises of God made to them would not be fulfilled and made absolutely no sense they flew by the instruments. They lived by faith, not by sight. So Noah, who'd probably never even seen rain, staked his life on the promise of God to send a flood. Everyone else thought it was a joke, but Noah's entire life was framed by it. Abraham, 
People thought he had lost his senses, no doubt, his family, his extended family at least, in leaving Ur of the Chaldees and then Haran and moving south uh, in obedience to God. Why in the world would you leave such a beautiful place to live like Ur of the Chaldees? Or Moses, why would you walk out of the corridors of power in Egypt's palaces and identify with a bunch of slaves? These were men and women that were commended by God because of their faith, because they walked by faith and not by sight. They believed what God said, regardless of what other people thought and regardless of what circumstances seemed to suggest, they held on by faith to what God had said. So let me give you one slightly more modern example of faith. William Carey, gripped by the Great Commission, go into all the world and make disciples. And I'll be with you always and believe that he should fulfill the Great Commission and, and, and grew a burden for a country like India. People around him thought going to India as a missionary was not only daunting task, but a needless task. One of uh, the senior leaders in the church that he was connected with stood up Mr. Raylan and said, if God wants to save the heathen, he'll do it without your help. There's no need for you to go. A year later, Carey preached his sermon, attempt great things for God and expect great things from God. And he was appointed as the first Baptist missionary to India. His wife at first refused to go with him and went only after her sister agreed to go with her to help her mind her five children. His wife never helped him in his work and she fell into a state of insanity and Carey had to look after her and care for her in her condition. He never received adequate support from his home church or home churches. He was in India seven years before he saw one convert and his first convert, when his first convert came to faith, he was put in prison. But he believed the Great Commission. Uh, he believed the most important thing was to trust Jesus because without it, someone would perish. And he believed that the Indian people needed to hear about Jesus. And he ended up translating the Bible into 34 Indian dialects. He helped stop the burning of Indian widows at the grave of their husbands when their husbands died. And, it was, and it's with such men that God takes pleasure. It's with such men who believe despite the obstacles, despite the difficulties, despite what circumstances might suggest, despite what people might suggest, it's with such men, men who believe what God said, that God takes pleasure. And God will take pleasure in us if we live by faith. These men were commended for their faith, and women, of course. Well, thirdly then, the example of faith. Um, so there, he gives an example of faith, and, and, he, and it's, it's a strange example. He says to the... Hebrews, he says, by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So he talks a little bit about creation, the nature of creation. The world was formed by the word of God's command. Uh, he obviously, he's thinking about the first chapter of the Bible, Genesis 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God, and God said, uh, and it was, so God said, let there be light, and of course, there was light. And so what the writer to the Hebrews is saying to the, his readers is, 
you know, with a word, God set the planets on their courses. With a single word, he formed the sea and the dry land. And, and uh, we understand all of this happened at the command of God. Everything that happened at creation happened at the command of God. Now, no one else was there to see it happen. Yet it's interesting that a lot of people speak very authoritatively about what happened, even though none of them were there and no one was there except God. But the writer crafts his statement here very carefully. He doesn't say, by faith, we prove that the worlds were created. Neither does he say, by science, we understand that the world was created. And there's nothing wrong with trying to prove creation. There's nothing wrong with trying to understand the science behind the natural world. The world needs to be understood scientifically. And I agree with John Lennox when he says that science and the Bible cannot be at odds. But here the writer is reminding his readers that the basis of our belief that God created the universe is our faith in what, what has been revealed. We understand it to be this way because of what God has said in his word. Creation, I think, has become a bit of an issue, hasn't it, in the 21st century? A bit of a stigma for Christians to bear, maybe not for you, but your kids at school have to bear the stigma if they believe that God created the world. But I think Christians in every century have had to bear a stigma. In, in the first century, the Jews had to bear the stigma that they believed that the Messiah was a carpenter from a backwater place called Nazareth and that he was the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Later in the first century, uh, early Christians had to bear the stigma that the emperor could not be worshipped because God alone was to be worshipped and that, you know, that the emperor couldn't be accommodated and shouldn't be bowed down. In the 16th century, I think the stigma that they had to bear was that a person was justified by faith and not by works, things like going to mass and attending church and doing stuff, that it was by faith. That was the stigma that early Christians that the Christians in the 16th century had to bear. And I think that one of the stigmas that Christians in the 21st century have to bear is the belief that God created everything. How that all unfolded is a discussion for another day. But the writer is saying to his readers, you know, we believe this. We believe that God spoke the world into existence. And then he, he really camps on it. He says, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So what is visible was not made out of things that were visible. What is visible was made by things that were invisible, by an invisible God. I think the writer to the Hebrews couldn't have crafted his statement any clearer. The visible, the things that you and I see around us, were all was made by an invisible God who took nothing and made everything. Now the point seems to be this. The Hebrews are prepared to believe that. He's working on the assumption that the Hebrews believe that because they come, most of them, from a Jewish background. They believe the Torah, the law. <coughs> so they believe this. So he's asking them, if you believe that, why then won't you look to Jesus? Why won't you follow his example and count the shame of the cross as nothing? Why won't you stake your life on the finished work of the cross why are you not living by faith? Why are you going back to the synagogue? Why are you not believing what has been revealed, not only in nature, not only in scripture, but now through God's son? Why won't you believe in that and allow that to shape your life if you're prepared to believe in creation? 
So the, the big question as I try and wrap this up is, would we believe in a God? Do we believe in a God who takes nothing and makes everything? Why then can't we believe that God can sustain us in the troubled seas of life and give us the grace that we need to face those troubled seas, painful, painful as they might be? Painful as they might be. Why can't we believe that God will give us the grace that we need to endure those troubled seas? Why can't we endure hardship like a good soldier, knowing that if we suffer with him, we will also reign with him, and that these present sufferings are not to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us in the hereafter? If we believe that God could take nothing and make everything, why can't we believe that? If some of you have got children thinking about investing their lives in, in, in ministry and in the work of God's kingdom, why, why don't we allow them to do that and encourage them to do that rather than wanting them to get a university degree and a great career and earn an absolute packet? Why won't we allow our children to invest in a kingdom that is, is, that is eternal and will outlast and outlive every other kingdom? So the big question for me as a father and for all of us is, are we allowing, our, does our faith, is it not only, not only do, is our faith a quiet courage within us, that's important. We believe this resolutely. and We're hanging on to it. The promises that God has given to us, everything that God has said to us about himself, everything that he has said to us about the sufficiency and the adequacy of his son, everything that he has said to us about Jesus being enough. Do we have a quiet confidence in our hearts regarding all of that? We believe that. But here's the question. Are we allowing it to shape our lives, the way we live, the way we think and the way that we operate? Because that's what the writer to the Hebrews wants his readers to do. That's what this chapter is about. These people were not doing that. They were walking away from Christ and going back to the synagogue. And so the writer to the Hebrews is asking them to allow faith uh, to shape them so that in the end they'll be commended by it. So the three things were fairly simple. He talked about the essence of faith. What is faith? What is faith? It's the essence of things or the assurance of things hoped for and, and uh, the conviction of things not seen. Then he talks about the effects of faith. It leads to being commended by God, for by it the people of old received their commendation. And then finally he uses this strange illustration of faith. So we understand that the universe was created by the word of God and that God made everything that we see out of nothing. So why then won't we believe everything that he says in essence, is what he is saying to his readers. Well, uh, thank you very much for listening to my meanderings on Hebrews 11, verses 1 to 3. Um, I uh, will continue to think about it and think about the rest of the chapter. And uh, I might even speak on some of the characters at some point over the winter if, if I ever get invited back after this long-winded sermon. Thanks. <laughs>